The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. I get the idea from 1 John chapter 1 that, that God is telling us that the Word of God, that this life as a Christian is not a life to be, uh, be kept to ourselves. As a matter of fact, He opens up this whole, uh, whole uh, introduction here in, in, in uh, 1 John 1 and, and, and verse number 1. He says, he says uh, we had an experience with the Lord. Did you get that? He said, he said I, I saw that which was from the beginning in Jesus. Jesus was the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was in the beginning. He was with God. He was God, the Bible says. Uh, There was nothing created without Him. Uh, Without Him was not anything made that was made, John 1 tells us. And so we understand from the Word of God that these disciples, and namely John, the beloved, who was so close to the Lord Jesus Christ in in a relationship, is saying to us, he said, Listen, I, I want to talk to you about an experience that I had with Jesus. I want to expound to you, I want to make known to you uh, this fellowship that I have with Christ, this relationship that I have with Christ. And uh, he's giving us the idea right from the beginning of 1 John that, that this life that we have is meant to be shared. It's not something that we keep to ourselves. It's not something we do alone. It's not something that uh, we just kind of, uh, Jesus saves us and then we go back to our old life and nobody knows about it. It's it's not something that we just uh, move forward as it was before. In other words, that the life that God came to give us, Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. He told us about what kind of life. It wasn't that physical life they possessed. It was a spiritual life. He made that known to the woman at the well when he told her the the life that I have to give you, the water that I have to give you is is the kind of life, is the kind of water that you'll never be thirsty again. It's a satisfying life. It's It's a life that's not just satisfying, but it's a life that's meant to be shared with others. And that's what he's trying to introduce to us in 1 John chapter 1 is that this life is not to be kept to ourselves. Uh, John is, 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 is uttering these words or penning these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we know these are God's words, not just John's words, but we know that God is using John's experience here because he's talking about what he has, what he has touched, what he's heard, what he's, what he's seen. And he's saying to us in verse number 1, he said, he said, for that which we have seen with our eyes, which are, we have looked upon, our hands have handled the word of life. He said, this life was manifested and we've seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life. Notice he's saying, I'm showing you something. I'm sharing with you something. This is an important thing that I want you to see. In verse number three, he says, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. You know, once you've experienced uh, the Christian life, and by the way, can I say the Christian life is a real life. It's not a fraud life. It's not a fake life. It's not a plastic life. It's not a religious life. It's not a cookie cutter like everybody else life. It is a, it is a dynamic. It is a wonderful. It is a unique daily personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ that makes a difference in our lives. And, and I'm talking about that, that uh, we, have, we know him and he knows us and we walk with him each day. It has an impact on our lives. It changes the way that we live our lives. I'm not talking about praying a prayer and continuing on your life and living your life the way you want to live your life. I'm not, I'm not talking about acknowledging that God exists this morning. The devils believe and tremble. 
I'm not talking about just saying, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, or I'm going to receive Christ, if you would, on top of my life. I'm talking about you're receiving a life that you don't possess apart from Christ. You're, you're getting from God what you did not have, you, that you cannot earn, that you uh, are not able to, to, to conjugate or, or to bring to pass in your own life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave you something, and, and it, by the way, if he gave you that life, your life is not going to be the same. Uh, your life is going to be different. It's going to change, by the way, radically, drastically, uh, dynamically. And uh, by the way, it, it's going to happen progressively in your life. In other words, as in the life of a Christian, I never stop changing. I never stop growing. I never stop experiencing in this relationship with God. Maybe you're a Christian this morning and you stopped growing somewhere along the way or salvation got old hat to you or, or maybe you just got into this this bad routine of just going through the motions in Christianity, but that's not the kind of life that John is talking about that we need to share. As a matter of fact, when you don't have something uh, that we feel like is worth sharing, we won't. But if, if we have something that we feel is worth sharing, uh, I, never, I never shared with someone uh, that they should go to a restaurant that I had a horrible experience at. I never said, hey, listen, I went to this restaurant this week, the meal was terrible. The service was awful. You got to go. I, I never, I never said that to anybody. I, I've never, I've never uh, uh, had an experience that was negative and wanted to share it with someone. We always want to share positive experiences, though, don't we? I got to tell you about this thing that happened. I got to tell you about this place I went. I got to tell you about this experience that I had. And by the way, that's what John is saying. John is saying this experience that I've had with Christ is life-altering, it's life-changing, it's worth sharing. And by the way, I cannot not share it because it's so incredible. And it'll change your life. If you find yourself not having any desire whatsoever to share the life that you found in Christ with other people around you who don't know about that life, I would question the kind of life you receive from Christ. Because if you have no desire to share it with anyone, if you have no desire whatsoever to tell anyone about it, uh, I would question whether you had it. I would question whether you've experienced it, whether you've enjoyed it. If you saw Jesus do what John saw Jesus do, he said, I can't be quiet about it. I've got to tell you, I need to share it. This life is the kind of life that we share. It's the kind of life that we let others know about. It's exciting. I want to share it with other people. John used the word declare it to all the readers in the first century. Uh, I, I read a, about a pastor who had a phone call from an angry woman. He's, she, she said over the phone, uh, and by the way, uh, this could be any pastor. All pastors have received a phone call from an angry woman at one point of another. Sometimes it's their wife and sometimes it's somebody else. But they've, they've all received a phone call from, and uh, she, 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 she shouted over the phone. She said, I received a, a piece of religious literature from your church. And I resent your using the mail to upset people. How dare you uh, send me something like this in the mail? How dare you uh, put this over to me? I had that happen to me uh, several times. And by the way, I'm not the one who put it, uh, the track. I had uh, one guy come, uh, or one lady rather. Uh, I hear her husband in the background. She, she, he wasn't on the phone, but she was. And uh, she got on the phone and she just let me have it. How, I cannot believe somebody put this on my car and it rained and it stuck to my windshield and all these things. I, I literally, I said, Where, what's your address? And she gave me her address. I went to uh, the car wash. I bought a certificate for a car wash. I went to the front door. I knocked on the door. I said, I'm here with a certificate for a car wash for you. And she looked at me like, 
like her jaw like drops. She never expected to meet me in person. I said, we're so sorry that we just have completely destroyed your car with that uh, horrible piece of literature that was uh, stuck on the car. And I just wanted to give you this. This, is, this will cover. I didn't buy the cheap one. I bought the, I bought the top of the notch, top line. By the way, when I looked at the car, I regretted doing that uh, afterwards because didn't, it didn't look like it had been washed in about three or four years. And, and uh, I didn't know exactly what she was complaining about. I, I think the gospel track added some aesthetic value to it. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I was looking at this thing, and she's just, she's just going nuts out of her mind about the thing. But when I did that, she just, and I said, I, I said, ma'am, I said, you don't understand. It's not that we're trying to, we're, we're not trying to uh, debate with you here. We're not trying to, uh, we're not trying to pull you from your church and from your religion and from your background, from your history. I'm not, I'm not here to go toe-to-toe in a debate with you here. We're just, we know we have good news, and we just want to share it with you. We just want to share our joy. We just want to share our life. We just want to share our experience. So many people look at uh, witnessing, and many Christians look at it this way, that it means wrangling over the differences in religious beliefs or sitting down and comparing church to church. But that isn't what John had in mind when he talked about sharing the the gospel. He told us that witnessing means sharing our spiritual experiences with others, both by the lives that we live and by the words that we speak. In other words, if I've had a true one-on-one personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, I have to share it. I have to tell you about it. And that's why, by the way, if you don't know how to take someone through the Romans road or you don't know all the words that you need to say, and, and by the way, you know what the sad part is, is many Christians are going through some kind of card and they're, this is what you do, this is what you do, this is what you do, this is what you do. They forgot that salvation is personal. They forgot that salvation, when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, he talked to her about water. When Jesus spoke to people where they went, he talked to them about their experiences and where they were, and he shared something with them that changed their lives. And it's not about memorizing a script, it's, although uh, it's, it's helpful to memorize the scripture, but I've seen people just go through a spiel like a vacuum uh, uh, cleaner salesman going door to door, getting people signed up for heaven. And that's not what God ever called us to do. That's, by the way, not a gospel witness at all. As a matter of fact, I would categorize it underneath another gospel because it's not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about going through the motions of just saying some kind of script. It's about talking about what happened to you. And if you don't know what happened to you, you better find out real quick from the Word of God or you better let something happen to you by the Lord Jesus Christ being introduced to your life. And by the way... If you have an experience with God, you should be able to talk about it. You know, too many people don't have anything to say about a personal testimony because they don't have a personal testimony. They, they didn't never have an experience with the Lord. You should know when you met Jesus, just like the woman at the well knows when she met Jesus. And you should be able to share that with other people. And by the way, you shouldn't be able to not share it. And that's what John was talking about. He wrote this letter to share Christ with us. And as you read it, you'll discover that John had in mind five purposes for sharing this morning. I want to share them with you. Number one, if you're following along in your your outline there, the first purpose that he had for this shared life or for sharing Christ with us is, number one, that we may have fellowship. That we may have fellowship. Look at verse number three of 1 John chapter number one. 
He said, that which we have seen and heard. There it is. Share, declare we unto you that ye also may have what? Fellowship. With who? With us. And truly our fellowship is with who? The Father. And with who? His Son, Jesus Christ. He said, he said I want to share this with you because I want to have fellowship with you. I want us to have fellowship and I've got to share this with you in order for us to fellowship. I want ultimately you to understand that our fellowship is not even just going to be with each other. But our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and therein He introduces to us one of the most important words in the vocabulary of a Christian. And that is the word fellowship. It simply means this, to have in common. To have in common. The Bible says, can two walk together except they be, be agreed? Can I say this this morning? As sinners, we had nothing in common with the holy God. Nothing. We had no point or place to fellowship with God because we had nothing in common with God. He was perfect. We weren't. He was holy. We weren't. He was, he was without sin. We were full of sin. You understand there was no common ground for us to fellowship with God. We couldn't fellowship with God because of our differences. And that's what he's saying here. But God in His grace, what did He do? He sent Christ to have something in common with men. Now, isn't it interesting in this whole idea of fellowship and commonality that we would have something in common? Jesus did this. He made Himself like a man. He said, we have nothing in common, so we'll have something in common. That's what Jesus did. Jesus said, you don't have anything. God and man, humanity, have nothing in common. So I'm going to put on flesh, and I'm going to be made in the fashion and the likeness of a man, and I'm going to humble myself and become a servant. And God says, in this place, from this position, then I can restore fellowship between God and man. And that's what Jesus did. He took on flesh, and he went to the cross, and he took on that body, that human body, the sins of the world, according to 1 Peter 2.24. And because he paid the price for our sins, the way is open for God to forgive us and to take us into his family. Get this, when we trust Christ, we become partakers of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1.4. You know what that means? We have something in common with God. We all now have a grounds from which to fellowship with God. Because before Christ, we were not partakers of His divine nature. We only had a sinful, uh, we had a destroyed, we had a degenerate nature uh, that could not fellowship with God. We had no fellowship with the Lord. We had no relationship uh, with the Lord. And when we trust Christ, that's changed. And the term translated partakers in Peter's epistles from the same word that's translated fellowship in 1 John 1, 3. He said, we have fellowship. We're partakers. We're together. Now we have a common ground. What a thrilling miracle this morning that Jesus Christ took on himself the nature of a man that by faith we would receive the nature of God. That's an awesome thought. He became sin for us that knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's what, that's what he did for us, by the way. We didn't deserve for that to happen, but that's what God did. That's why it says God commendeth his love toward us 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's that saying? God loved us so much, even though we had nothing in common, he was willing to make himself uh, as uh, someone that we had something in common with so that he could die on the cross so that we could be partakers or have fellowship with the Lord. Because now we have his divine nature. We have his spirit. Uh, A famous British writer was leaving Liverpool by ship and he noticed that the other passengers were waving to friends on the dock and uh, he rushed down to the dock and he stopped a little boy and he said, would you wave to me if I paid you? If I, if I gave you some money, would you, would you just wave at me? And, uh, and the, the, the lad, agree, of course, agreed, and the writer rushed back on board, and he leaned over the rail. He was glad for someone to be able to wave to, and sure enough, there was the boy. He was waving back at him. He was, he was waving right to him, and, and what a foolish story, maybe, but perhaps it reminds us that man hates loneliness. Man hates being in positions where he has nothing in common with everyone else. No one wants to be apart from everyone else. No one wants to be alone. No one wants to be in a position where they have nothing in common with the people that are around them. And God was saying this. He said, hey, listen, you had nothing in common with me, but I paid uh, I paid so that someone would have something in common with you, so someone would relationally be able to connect with you. And that's what Jesus did. He paid the price on the cross of Calvary to give us fellowship, to give us commonality to give us common ground, to, to make the, uh, the, the, they say the, the foot of the cross is level, it's plain. And all of us want to be wanted, don't we? The life that is real helps to solve the basic problems of loneliness. For Christians have genuine fellowship with God and with one another. Jesus promised this, he said, lo, I am with you, what? Always. And in his letter, John explained the secret of fellowship with God and other Christians. He said, this is the first purpose. This is the first reason why Jesus died for you, so you could fellowship with God, so you could know God, so you could have a relationship with the Lord. And by the way, come on, uh, if you haven't fellowship with the Lord this week, you know it's, it's hurt you in your life. You need to spend time with God. You need to fellowship. Isn't it sad that what Jesus died on the cross for, to make a way for, for us to have fellowship with God, that sometimes we'll ignore that purpose? We'll ignore that primary reason, fellowship. What does the Lord tell us in Revelation about uh, his desire? He said to the Christian, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I'll come into him and I'll sup with him and he with me. What's he saying? I want to fellowship with you. He said, I'm coming to where you are to fellowship. I'm knocking at your door. I'm pleading with you. I'm compelling with you uh, by, your, by my spirit to say, hey, please come spend time with me. And yet sometimes we'll spend more time with a television set or our cell phone or with other people than we will with God. And we'll, we'll forget God and we'll forget to fellowship with him. Yet Jesus paid the price on the cross so that we could have fellowship with him. And he tells us that, that singular purpose and reason that we might have fellowship. Number two, the second reason he gives us is that we may have joy. In verse number four, he says, And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. You know, fellowship is Christ's answer to loneliness, but joy is his answer to emptiness. That's what he says. He says, I'm giving you joy so that you can be full. Ever feel empty? Before Christ, you felt empty. Before Christ, you felt lonely. 
Uh, after Christ, get this, you have fellowship, you're not lonely. After Christ, you shouldn't feel empty because you have joy. And his joy makes us feel full. Come on, anybody like to feel like you have an empty stomach? Nobody likes that feeling. As a matter of fact, we, we, we like it so bad that if we're not in a place where we, can, where we can eat a good meal, we'll stop at one of those window places and we'll get a really bad meal and we'll just get it so that we can feel full because we don't like feeling empty. You with me? Ever make a bad decision because you felt empty? A lot of people make bad decisions because they feel empty. They do things to themselves they shouldn't do because they feel empty. They hurt themselves because they feel empty and they want to be full. And God says, hey, listen, I made a way for you to be full. I made a way so you didn't have to feel empty anymore. I made a way so you didn't have to have those feelings. You didn't have to go hurt yourself and harm yourself with all the the pleasures of sin for a season because with my joy, you can be full all the time. And listen, the Christian life is not a life living on gas fumes, running on empty. The Christian life is they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings uh, as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What was God saying? You never have to be on empty again. Never again. He said, I've given you this joy so that you could be full Listen, friend, if you're a Christian, you feel empty this morning because you've chose wrong, because you've done wrong, because you tried to supplement, you tried to, you tried to substitute something in your Christian life for what God tried to give you freely. And by the way, the devil uh, lied to you, and he's deceived you, and, and maybe he's pulled you astray and pulled you away. You ought to tell him to go to the place where he's on his way to and embrace the Lord this morning and say, God, I want to be in a right fellowship with you, and I want my joy to be full. God can make us full, can he? Basically, sin is the cause of unhappiness. It's what overwhelms our world today. Come on, sin promises joy, but it always produces sorrow. You with me? It always promises joy. You say, I did that because I thought it would make me happy. Listen, everybody sins because they thought it would make them happy. Sin always promises joy, but it only produces sorrow. The pleasures of sin are temporary. They're only for a season. And God's pleasures last eternally. They're forevermore. It's what what Jesus said to the woman at the well. He said, if you drink of this water, you'll get thirsty again. If if, if you take of this, it's just temporary. If you just try to find it in this life, it won't last. But let me tell you, I have something that will make it so that you're never thirsty again. So that you never hunger again. So that you're never on E again. And he said this in John 16. Your joy no man taketh from you. By the way, can I say this? Jesus said that in John 16 right before he went to the cross. So before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus said this. Nobody can take your joy from you. Nobody can take your joy from you. You mean Jesus went to the cross With joy? Yes. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? That the joy that was set before him is why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross full. He went to the cross with joy. It's why he was able to speak from that point of strength. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
It's why he's able to do and say to that uh, thief that was on the cross that deserved to die and die on that cross. It's why he was able to say to him, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise, friend. I know where we're going. I know who the Father is. I don't have to be empty. I don't have to be robbed of my joy. And by the way, how many times have you let this world, have you let sin, have you let someone else rob you of your joy? And God said, I died on the cross so that your joy could be full. Don't you let the devil, don't you let this world, don't you let someone else take your joy from you. Don't you let your circumstances take your joy from you. It's what makes us full. It's what makes us strong. And the devil wants you to be weak, by the way. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full, Jesus said. Karl Marx wrote this. The first requisite for the people's happiness is the abolition of religion. But the apostle John wrote, faith in Jesus Christ gives you a joy that can never be duplicated by the world. And I've experienced this joy myself, and I want to share it with you. I wonder, have you experienced the kind of joy that the Bible's talking about here? If you have, you can share it with someone else. If not, you have nothing to share. You've got no joy to share. Isn't it funny how some people always need someone else to make them happy, but they can't ever make anyone else happy. God says, the kind of joy that I give to you You can help other people have joy. John said, I want to share my joy with you. I want to share it with you. He says that we might have joy. Number three, the third reason he talked about this life being shared is that we may not sin. Is that we may not sin. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1. He said, my little children, after he got done talking about confessing our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us, after he got done saying in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He said in chapter 2 and verse number 1, my little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Get this. If I broke the law and I did something wrong, listen, I'd be looking for a good advocate. How about you? A good advocate. Someone to be my go-between. Someone to say what I couldn't say. Someone to give me uh, uh, credibility. Someone to help me through that situation. You know what God says? When you break God's law as a Christian, you have an advocate with the Father. And your advocate is Jesus Christ the righteous. Get this, you can't get a better lawyer than Jesus. You know why you can get off? You know why you can be forgiven? You know why that when the accuser of the brethren shows up in your life and he starts pointing the finger at you and he starts accusing you and saying you've done this and done that, you know why you walk out of that courtroom with a smile on your face and a song in your heart knowing that you're right with God because you have an advocate Uh, with the Father, and His name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, no, you can't accuse Him because I already paid for that. No, you can't say anything bad about Him because I've already covered that. Oh, no, you can't can't, uh, judge Him because He's not condemned anymore. He's no, now, therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Jesus Christ. You can't condemn someone that's uncondemnable, and Jesus is uncondemnable. And get this, He says, they're with me. They're with me, you understand. And he said, hey, listen, knowing this doesn't make us want to go and sin. Knowing this doesn't make us want to go back into that situation. Knowing this doesn't make us want to go back to our old life. Knowing this doesn't make us want to go back to our old habits. Knowing this wants us uh, more and more in our lives identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that we may not sin. John faced the problem of sin squarely, didn't he? He said, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. Well, I don't know if you can get any more plain than that, folks. I don't know if you can be any more blunt than that. He said, if you say you've got no sin, you're a liar. If you say you've never sinned, you're a liar. If you say you've never done wrong, you've just done wrong because you lied. And uh, you've done wrong and you've sinned. And it's not that you haven't sinned. It's what Jesus did to pay for that sin that we have confidence in this morning. Christ not only died for us to carry the penalty of our sins, but rose from the dead in, in order to intercede for us at the throne of God. Get this. He said, I'm not going to stay dead because I still got a ministry, you understand? I'm, I can't stay in the grave because I still got stuff I need to do. You see, even though I've forgiven you and even though I've cleansed you and even though I've made you whole, you still got that dirty, rotten sin nature. And get this, you need an advocate. You need a mediator. There's only one mediator between God and man. That's the man, Christ Jesus. You need someone to ever live to make intercession for you. And that's Jesus Christ. He said, Peter, don't be afraid. I've prayed for you. And get this, friend. He said the same thing to you. He said, don't you be scared. Don't you be afraid. He said, I've prayed for you. I'm able to keep you from falling. I'm able to restore you. I'm able to forgive you. I'm able to cleanse you. By the way, he can do it justly. He can do it justly. He said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to do it, but he's just to do it, to forgive us and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad for the justification of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we've been made just as if we never sinned, even though we keep doing it? But what do we do when we sin? Admit it. Admit it. Stop lying to yourself and saying you didn't do it. Stop lying and say, saying to yourself you didn't do it yesterday. And you didn't do it the day before. By the way, every time you get on your knees, you say, God, even if I know I didn't do it, even if I don't think I, I did it, I know I did. God, even though I, I, I may not be able to recall maybe something to memory, I know that you know. And God, I want to come before you and I want to have a clean slate. God didn't say you come to get cleaner. He said you come to get cleansed. Too many Christians come to get cleaner instead of getting cleansed. You say, what do you mean cleaner? God doesn't want you to come this morning and say, God, make me cleaner than what I am. God wants you to come this morning and say, I come to get cleansed, God. You don't take a shower to get cleaner. You take a shower to get clean. You know, God says you don't come to confess because you want to try to be cleaner. You come clean of everything you've done. And you make it right with the Lord. And that she might not sin, he said in chapter 2 and verse number 1. You know, it's important for us to remember that we have an advocate with the Father. He's our representative. He, he defends us at the Father's throne. He pleads on our behalf. An, interesting, an, an interested woman uh, said to a visiting pastor one time, I'd like to become a Christian, but I'm afraid I can't hold out, I'm sure, to sin again. And turning to 1 John chapter 1, the pastor said this, No doubt you will sin again because God says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the Truth is not in us. But if you do sin, God will forgive you. And if you'll confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to cleanse you. It isn't necessary for Christians to sin. As we walk in fellowship with God and obedience to his word, he gives us ability to resist and to have victory over temptation. Then the pastor remembered that the woman had gone through surgery some months ago. He said this to her, when you had your surgery... Was there a possibility of complications or problems afterwards? 
Oh, yes, she replied, but whenever I had a problem, I went to see the doctor, and he took care of it. Then the truth hit her. I see it, she exclaimed. Christ is always available to keep me out of sin or to forgive my sin. Did you get that this morning? Christ is always available to keep you out of sin or to forgive you when you sinned. And that's what he's available to us for. That's what his ministry is today, that we may not sin. Number four this morning, the reason that he gave us this life, this life that is shared is that we may not be deceived, that we may not be deceived. Look at chapter 2 and verse number 26 in your Bible, 1 John. He says in verse number 26, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. You know what he's saying? He's saying there's going to be some people that try to pull you away from the truth, that try to keep you from understanding what the Bible says, and as never before, Christians today need ability to distinguish between right and wrong. You with me this morning? Everybody awake? We need the ability. I'm trying to warn you this morning because there's a lot of nonsense and error and truth, uh, things that are being said that are not Bible, that are being said in the name of the Word of God. And uh, the notion's widespread in our generation even that there are no absolutes, that nothing is always wrong, that nothing is always right. Can I say this? If the Bible says it's wrong, it's always wrong. If the Bible says it's right, it's always right. And it doesn't matter whether the culture changes or not. The culture doesn't change God's word. Uh, God's word is always right. God's word is always enough. God's word is always relevant. And it never changes. We don't change with the culture. We, we uh, uh, listen to what the word of God says because God's word is always relevant. God didn't write his word for one time period. He wrote his word for all time periods. Can I remind you this morning that his word is eternal? It's eternal. He doesn't want us to be deceived. In John's epistle, there's a word that no other New Testament writer uses. It's the word antichrist. He says it in John 2.18 and in 1 John 2.18 and in verse number 22 and chapter 4 and verse 3 and 2 John and verse number 7. And that word anti means simply this, against or instead of. He's not necessarily talking about the antichrist in Revelation. He's talking about a replacement for Jesus. He's talking about something that people are substituting for the gospel. Something that people are giving in replace of that. And by the way, first century Christians, first century churches needed to hear this truth just as much as we do today. Because there are always cheap substitutes for God's truth. You know, there are in this world teachers of lies who are opposed to Christ and their method of seducing people is to use lies. They offer a substitute Christ a substitute salvation, a substitute Bible, and they want to give you something of the real Word of God and real eternal life. They, they want to give you something in place of those things. Can I say this? Christ is the truth and the devil is a liar. Christ is the truth and the devil is a liar. And by the way, that never changes. He's always a liar. He's always a deceiver. And you can pretty much count on it that everything the devil says is a lie. That everything he says is, is for the purpose of drawing you away from the truth. And the devil leads people astray, not necessarily with gross sexual sins, but with half-truths, with outright lies. He began his career by seducing man in the Garden of Eden. He asked Eve, yea, hath God said? Even then he did, he did not appear to her in his true nature, but he masqueraded himself in her eyes as a beautiful creature. And Satan today often spreads his lies. 
even through beautiful people, religious people, well-known people, uh, uh, people that are, uh, have, a, have a, a, a name in society, if you would, popular people. Just because that person says Jesus and just because that person says Bible doesn't mean they're telling you the truth. We've got to be careful in this day because we don't need to be deceived. God says he's given us this fellowship that we would not be deceived. And Jesus answered the questions of life. He said, the life that is real is characterized by discernment. The ability to tell the difference between right and wrong. And that is the real Christian life. And then lastly this morning as we close. The fifth and final reason why he gave us this life that is shared is this. That we may know we are saved. That we may know that we are saved. Look at 1 John chapter 5. Turn there quick in your Bible. You need to look at it in God's word. Don't just take my word for it. Look at the word of God. 1 John chapter 5 verse number 13. These things have I written unto you. John saying, I want to share this life with you. I want you to have fellowship with us. And I want you to have fellowship with the Father. But I want you to know the purpose of these writings is that you would believe on the name of the Son of God and that you would know that you have eternal life. He told us that. I want you to know it. That you have eternal life. Listen to me. If somebody tells you today that you cannot be sure that you're on your way to heaven, they're lying to you. If someone tells you today that you cannot be sure that heaven is your home, they're telling you a lie. If somebody tells you today that you can't be sure that your salvation is forever, they're telling you a lie. If someone's telling you today that you cannot be sure that Jesus' blood and Jesus' sacrifice paid for all your sins, they're telling you a lie. God said, I wrote these things to you. I want you to know these things so that you could know that you have eternal life. So if where you sit this morning, you're not sure, it's not because God doesn't want you to be sure. If you're not sure in your heart, if you don't know that heaven's your home, you know you can be sure by believing on the name of the Son of God. You know, we've already kind of touched on this truth in the first point, but it's so important that it bears repeating. Life that is real is not built on empty hopes. A life that is real is not built on empty wishes. A life that is real is not based on human supposings. And if you've ever asked somebody if they know they're on their way to heaven, and they're saying, I wish, I hope, I suppose, I guess, I might... They're not sure, and the reason why they're not is because they're not saved. I've talked to many people, and it's why that we ask that question so often. Are you sure that you're going to heaven when you die? Are you sure that you're in a relationship with the Lord? Because if you're not sure, you're probably not. And by the way, it's not because you can't be. It's because you probably haven't ever put your faith wholly on the Lord Jesus Christ. If your faith is in you today, you're not sure. Anybody sh- completely 100% sure about themselves? Isn't that why we do so many dumb things? Because we're so unsure. We're so unsure of ourselves. And by the way, we ought to be because we've proven ourselves to be something that cannot be relied on. But here's the thing. If there's one thing that you can rely on, one person in this life you can rely on, it's Jesus Christ. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.